raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Welcome to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast, dedicated to the unsung heroes behind those struggling with addiction, their friends and family like you. We'll share insights, stories, and resources to help you support your loved ones and care for yourself on the recovery journey. Back in the day, life was golden. I had big dreams, and I was going to hone my jump shot and score that full-ride scholarship to play college basketball and own the world. Getting onto the Westlake High School basketball team felt like the first step toward that dream. But then, halfway through the season, everything changed with just a few words. Pass that joint. I'll never forget that moment. Taking a hit of what they called the Cali Chronic. It seemed innocent enough, but it was a slippery slope. Suddenly, all of my drive, my determination... And my focus started to slip away. School became less important and my commitment to practice waned. It didn't take long for the consequences to hit when the coach did a mid-season grade check. I was in trouble, Matt Bear. Academic (laughs) probation was a slap in the face and my time on the court slipped away. The glory days up in smoke. Looking back, my mom saw the warning signs, but I was blinded to them. If only... I had paid attention. Here I am today, Ryan Hedrick. I've traveled a rough road, but I've come a long way. Now I'm a professional broadcaster in Indianapolis, and my journey of long-term recovery is not only a dream, it's a reality. My mission, to help others get the support and assistance their loved ones need to break free from the grip of addiction. So I was driving the first time that I smoked weed and the car was full of people. I I was 17 and as I continued to swerve onto the shoulder of whatever Indiana County road we were on, my passengers were just yelling the entire time, pull over please. I then went to college and learned to smoke a bong, meaning yeah, I had to learn it because the first time I accidentally poured the entire chamber of bong water into my mouth and drink it. It was absolutely disgusting. Neither of those derailed me for my quote-unquote experimental phase of drug use, which combined with my binge drinking led to dozens of nights of having to be helped into bed because my head was spinning and I was vomiting on vomiting on other people. I had no idea at the time that this was my alcoholism getting me early. I didn't believe in alcoholism. I didn't think it existed at that time. And I was more This is what we do when we're kids. It was normal. Nobody partied like I did, but nobody was as sick as I was. I I was so proud of my partying. Um, My name is Matt Bear. I'm an alcoholic, and I have been all my life. I'm now in recovery. I'm alive, blessed, loved, and able to talk to you on the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Welcome to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. I'm Ryan Hedrick. In this episode, we're talking about the three signs your teenager is using drugs. Number one, your teen feels like they don't fit in. Number two, they get new friends. And number three, there's legal trouble. Now, let's dig in. So number one, your teen doesn't feel like they fit in. Now, back in the day, I can be in a room full of people that loved and cared about me, Matt, and I still didn't feel like I fit in. Now, it's getting a little better, but 
I think I started to feel that way long before the drugs took hold, which, you know, thinking back on it, I, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I remember going to high school parties and granted, like I wasn't the most popular guy. I wasn't on the football team. You I tried out for the basketball team. We I, know that, I, yeah. I did try out for the basketball mm-hmm. team and made the basketball team, but football was a high-profile sport. I wasn't the starting quarterback. I had a bunch of acne, which drove <sighs> me crazy. That in and of itself will separate you from the crowd, but I never really felt part of my entire life, and and I really do believe that was the way my addiction manifested itself. Another thing I want to point out is that my behavior in school was always attention-seeking before the drugs got a hold of me. I remember getting negative remarks. Remember the paper report cards that we used to have? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I usually grades, tore mine A, up, B, yeah. C, D. Yeah, I tried to hide mine from my mom all the time. But, you know, the remarks on the report card, your child won't shut up. They can't stay in their seat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's like a, some sort of prelude to what we are now. You know he I mean? doesn't study, and it wasn't because I was lazy. I just couldn't pay attention. I never could stay in my seat. Well, those attention-seeking behaviors manifested themselves. And, you know, by the time it was all said and done, I had backed myself into a corner, and the behaviors just got more and more antisocial. Yeah, and they get more extreme, too. Sure. Just like our addiction, just like as we use alcohol and whatever drug we're using. I mean, the tolerance builds and we have to do more. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting like that. I mean, it's tricky for me, Ryan, because... When I was a teenager, we had just moved from Missouri to Indiana, so we're talking about a geographical relocation. And, of course, I'm going to have a new group of friends, and it wasn't the best indicator for my parents because, yeah, I'm around all sorts of new people. I I mean, yeah, I didn't feel like I fit in. It's, It's like now I look back on that, and maybe that not fitting it made me more susceptible to drugs and alcohol because i really enjoyed doing it when i was able to do it um i never felt confident enough uh, and this isn't the fault of anybody's we had to move sure i was just a teenager and, and i'm not going to say to people hey i don't feel right right now hey i don't feel like i fit in hey i don't feel like i have a group of people to be with because you're a teenager right a male teenager in a small town you want friends and like any teenager you want to be popular so you don't want to portray that kind of vulnerability it's not masculine and when you're a teenager masculinity is a very important thing it's just not cool to say hey you know i i don't feel good about this and and i need your help it it wasn't cool as a teenager it wasn't sexy I, i mean if your teen comes to you and expresses these kinds of feelings, and thank God society has progressed to the point that this is more acceptable. You can ask certain questions like, why do you feel like this? What makes you feel like this? And maybe most importantly, what do you do to cope with these feelings? And really pay attention to what your teen tells you on that last one. I mean, if it were me, I would lie. And you'd be able to tell I was lying. But what are they doing to cope? What are they doing to make themselves fit in? Unfortunately, they, they might be using. And, and a lot of times in my case, that, that, was, that was what was happening. Number two, they get new friends. And this was a co- I mean, yeah, we moved when I was in high school. This is a college thing for me. That's what stands out. Um, so obviously, I would get new friends. And... Not only did I find them, they found me. It's amazing how alcoholics and addicts are able to find each other. I mean, I was at this huge comms class. It was like comms 220 is 
um, a first year class in, you know, it was a, a large university in this classroom. It was a hall. It was like 200 people in it. It was just, uh, anyways, I wasn't taking my finals. And I remember showing up to one of the classes and the teacher's going through slides and she asked some kind of question. And in the middle of this, in this lecture hall, I answered the question. I yelled it across the hallway. Drink some beer! <laughs> you attention seeker. Yeah, I was such an attention seeker. And I wasn't even embarrassed about it because I'm sure I was half in the bag, but a couple of guys found me and said, we want to party with him. <laughs> <laughs> and they invited me over, and that's where I, you know, I told you the bong story a little bit ago. That's why I first smoked the bong and drank the bong water. Because, you know, they might have been goofing on me a little bit. Come on, right. I'm a freshman. I'm coming good at everything else. Um... Th- that's the thing. Your, your friends uh, that become your friends may have found you because they're also addicts. Uh, your friend group may come with some tells about whether your teen is using or not. And I'm not talking like hanging out with middle class families like that's supposed to be your group of friends. That's not what we're saying or families with or friends with Fortune 500 careers and dads and moms that do that. Um, sometimes that's where our mind goes when thinking about these things. We want groups of friends that influence positivity. But what it comes down to is this. If your teen's pals are using your teens probably using too. Our upbringing's different, Ryan. What was it like for you? I mean, new groups of friends is my life because we moved so much. Do you have? Were you there for a while? Did you get new groups of friends? Oh yeah. I, I mean, between the time I was in third grade and the time I was in sixth grade, I think I had three or four different schools because my mom was kind of unstable as a single mother. She was always looking for a situation where we could be more stable. But the people I hung around with, Matt, changed dramatically after I started using. So I was pretty consistent when I was a young kid. And when I say young up until the time I was about 12 or 13, but when I started using, I, you know, I was honing my basketball. Basketball was a a big theme early in life. I was on the basketball team, but I was also wanting to do play by play. I was practicing my skills with my buddy, Sam Zia, who is still in the business right now, as am I, you know, and, and how we did this is we would go to Laker games and we would actually sit in the stands and do play by play on a gray tape recorder. It's a rectangular shaped tape recorder that fit in the palm of my hand. And we even had fictitious call letters made up. I love this. It was elaborate I stuff, man. Anyway, we, you know, we were putting in a lot of work to do this and we probably practiced for about a year. And when the drugs were introduced, it became less important for me to not only do play-by-play, but to even associate with people like Sam or people that that weren't using drugs. In fact, a year after I started using, the disease already began to progress, and I started to try to rekindle my relationship with him, but it was never the same because I was under the influence. And if your loved one starts using, this is my experience, their groups of friends will change. Matt already kind of documented that through his story. And with that, so will the behavior of your loved one. Just think, if it wasn't for drugs, you could have Jim Nance's job right now. (laughs) I'd rather have this one. Number three, there's legal trouble. All right, my legal troubles started with the crime called 11550. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's still a crime, but... Back in the day, a misdemeanor offense in California was given if you were under the influence. If a cop rolled up to you 
and put a flashlight in your eyes and your eyes did not respond to the the shine of that light, they could take you into custody and charge you with the misdemeanor offense for being under the influence. I picked one up. Now, is it, now sorry, right? Does this yeah. mean, I mean, do I have to be driving or is this just me walking no, around No, you know, I was actually targeted while I was coming back from a park with friends after a night of using the cop rolled up on us because we were on private property. Not and he that, said, hey, what are you doing here? And he shined the light on our faces and none of us, none of our eyes responded because we were high on stimulants. So at that point, he was able to cite us for a misdemeanor crime. The, the point that I'm really trying to drive home is not the fact I was a bad kid. It's that if your loved one starts using, especially your child, things like this, are going to happen. Maybe, Matt, it's a DWI or an OWI, depending on what part of the country you live in. Maybe it's a, a simple possession charge. Maybe they get fired from work for stealing. Signs like this, Matt, I thought that I, I could drive better when I was high or when I was drunk. I know it's crazy know. to no, admit. it's not crazy to admit because <laughs> I thought the same thing. But, but this is what goes through the mind of your loved one when they start using drugs or alcohol. I had my car tossed when I was 18, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty young age to start having those things happen. And, and I know it was like uh, some people 14, 13, whatever. Now, when they say, when you say tossed, you mean by a cop? Yeah, okay. my, my car was tossed. By a police, uh, my car was searched thoroughly by the police officers <laughs> in the small town. In yeah, it was, um, uh, and they completely tore it apart, and they should have. Uh, and what they found was it's a pipe, a little weed pipe, and I was charged with an infraction of the law, not even a misdemeanor. And what this <laughs> infraction of the law. It was kind of a precursor to this DWI, this OWI that I got when I was 23 years old, 23 or 24. It was a monster. I mean, I blew a point one eight one nine. I took out a string of mailboxes. I, I got charged with possession. There was all sorts of things going on with this. But, you know, when I first looked at that infraction of the law to the OWI, that infraction was kind of an indicator that sure. I was going to get into more trouble. When it's behavior, trouble, right? Yeah, it is behavior, yeah. and my behavior was bad, and it led to worse behavior. Um, this can be a massive red flag the first time your teenager gets into trouble, and trouble's brewing, and we're not telling anybody how to raise their kids here, but these little infractions could mean something. For some teens, you get busted and learn your lesson. You throw a house party as a teenager. The cops come. Mom and dad find out you have a big talk, and then you're good. What I'm just saying is legal trouble, even if it's just the first time, could be an indicator that your teen might be a little deeper into the abyss of addiction than what you might originally think. Recapping the list, three signs your teenager is using drugs. Number one, your teen feels like they don't fit in. Number two, they get new friends. And number three, there's legal trouble. All right, Ryan, in a minute, we will talk to a mother. Her name is April Rhodes, and she recently lost her son to fentanyl addiction. And his problem started when he was a teenager. So it's going to be a good conversation and hopefully help the people behind the people identify the signs that their teenagers are using drugs. This is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. I found hope in the midst of an overwhelming situation. Alcoholism can affect any family. Are you in an overwhelming situation because of someone else's drinking? Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 866-200-0033 or visit alanon.org slash hope. If you or a loved one have a problem with drugs or alcohol, Narcotics Anonymous may be able to help. 
We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. Anyone who feels they may have a problem is welcome in Narcotics Anonymous. And it's free. For more information, visit us at centralindianana.org. That's centralindianana.org. Or call 317-875-5459. That's 317-875-5459. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Supporting Sobriety Podcast, Ryan Hedrick, Matt Baer, and we are grateful to be joined by Our next guest, her name is April Rhodes, and she has had a hard-fought path to getting her message out. She is a mom, and she shares monthly at the Greenhouse Treatment Facility in uh, Texas. It's in Dallas, beautiful city of Dallas, both inpatient and outpatient. Once a month, she attends Judge Steve Burgess's first-time offender drug court program, and uh, it, it's just a powerful testimony. She's also shared at the DEA Family Summit, and she leads a grassroots organization where they volunteer and participate in these advocacy programs. And she lost her son to active addiction. April, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's my first podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Ours too, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know... It gets me emotional when I talk about people losing people because I could think of, you know, if my mom would have lost me, and that's what's at the core of my emotions today. Can you can you talk about losing Max? Uh, it, it, unless you're in this club, I call it, you just can't possibly imagine. It is the most profound loss. Uh, that anyone can experience. Um, you think you know, um, but you don't. It, it, you don't. It's it's not something you ever get over. It's something that you just learn to live with. Mm. And what, how you choose to spend your time. Um, I know so many moms that just are, become reclusive, stay in the house um, years, and um, just frankly, don't, I have to spend my time productively uh, to honor my son. I'm not judging or anything, um, but everybody deals with grief and loss different. And it is, it, it, it is just something that you cannot explain the, the pain and just the, the grief. You, it, it's so profound. April, you were talking about staying productive, and Ryan just mentioned all these really cool groups that you're involved with, and it sounds like you've built a really good community full of outstanding people that help support and love you. How important is that community to you? Uh, 
very important. There are so many mothers uh, that have experienced loss of a child to addiction, particularly fentanyl in my area. Um, and, and you just want to do something. You, you have to do something. So you uh, join this organization. There's one here called Winning the Fight, WTF. Um, that is, I, I think it's national, actually. Um, and, and then they hear, hey, uh, you, you attend a 5K run or whatever event they're having to bring awareness. And they latch on to you, and uh, they just want more people in their camp to spread the word. You know, it's here. It's just so everywhere in the country, as you can imagine. And for me, I can't sit and not do anything. I actually, and then I actually uh, resigned from my really nice job September 1st uh, to devote any time I have and can to these nonprofit organizations to first honor my son and second, bring awareness so some other mother doesn't have to live in my house. It, it, you just you don't wish that on on your worst enemy. Um, I dove in really quick, which was probably not a good idea, says my therapist. Uh, I was still I still am in my early early stages of grief. Uh, Max overdosed on June sixteenth of twenty twenty three, so uh, I almost didn't take the time uh, to process. And and just you know go through the motion, go through the process that you have to go through, and grief. You know, there's anger and there's it's all kinds of things that you go through. And uh, so I dove in all the Facebook organizations, all the you know the overdose awareness month, and uh, you know all the signs and all that. And then I had to back up and mourn my son. God bless you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so. incredible. Uh, what was your son like? Um, he was well. Let me just touch on this cocaine THC. Um, in about a week, we got another urine test, clean, absolutely no no effects from uh, being exposed to that in utero or anything. And then about six weeks later, he shed those hepatitis C antibodies. So completely clean, the most perfect baby, the most lovable kid, as you can imagine, probably spoiled, uh, the favorite of all four grandparents, um, just just the greatest. I would actually, two years later, have a baby, my daughter, who is, so they're two years apart. She's 22. And um, I went back to work. Well, first day back to work after 12 weeks of having this new baby, and I got halfway to downtown Dallas, turned the car around, and that was it. I would stay home for the next 16 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> I couldn't beautiful. leave him. I couldn't leave him. He was, I, I just, he was my world. I just, I couldn't leave him. But um, he was at tons of friends. He played football. Just a really privileged nice life we had just really he just had everything he needed um and but I would find out later 
much later uh, that he didn't ever feel like he fit in, he said. Um, gosh, you wouldn't know it uh, from the outside. Uh, he just he had so many friends and was so likable, made good grades and nice little athlete and seemed just happy. But I think some adoptees deal with abandonment issues. Um, Did he and, ever say and, why he didn't feel like he fit in? Um, later, I think after he'd had some therapy and stuff and treatment, he said that he couldn't really... He felt like he didn't deserve the life he had. When did you know April's? We talked to April Rhodes, a, a mother from Dallas involved in grassroots movements to bring awareness and education to the disease of addiction. When did you know that Max was struggling with drugs? Uh, he was always a football player, and uh, he was uh, took guitar lessons. He was a little musician. He, uh, and then all, his dad and I had divorced, and he lived with his dad, but we were all close, and I saw him every day. And then he's like, Mom, I'm going to quit football. Mom, and then the next week he's like, I'm just not going to do guitar lessons. So he sort of traded that athletic click the jock click for the stoner click so he was hanging around this was like junior year of high school he's hanging around the kids that smoked pot and drank a little um so that's when it started and he would tell me mom why can't i be normal why can't i you know they want to party and get high and they all go home and get up and go to their jobs or go to school the next day max couldn't did he, he go wanted to college? More. He went to uh, junior college or to community college. He was going to get an automotive, you know, associate's degree. And, but his, uh, he got a DWI because he, you know, was smoking pot and drinking and driving. And, and um, was that uh, after yeah. high school or during high school? That was after high okay, school. Okay, so that would have been that during his community school. college days then. Yes. Okay. So he did not finish. Uh, he dropped out. He didn't get his degree. And with a DWI, you can't really pursue that anyway. No one would hire you unless you have a clean record. So, um, And he always worked. He always had a job. Even in the throes of heavy fentanyl addiction, he always worked. He was a clean-cut kid. He always looked nice. You just wouldn't know it. Now, did he keep the company of his high school friends of this this stoner group even after he graduated high school? Did he still hang around the same people, like in the same town? Absolutely, they were his best friends. But this is the, this is the difference. They grew out of it. They're all successful. They're all starting their own businesses or taking over their dad's business. Or uh, they're, they're yes, they all just did that healthy kind of experimenting and then left it. And now they're, they're, they're just the greatest kids. I stay in constant contact with them and they just loved Max so much. But Max had this, these demons I felt like he dealt with that he just, when he would use, he would just want more for longer when Everybody else just went home. The party didn't stop for him. I always say this. Uh, he didn't really have a rock bottom. 
his rock bottom had a basement and he just, I kept thinking, well, he'll, you know, years of trying to in and out of treatment centers and detox facilities. And one story I wanted to touch on, uh, we were in a detox facility trying to get admitted. He always called me when he was ready or in trouble. He knew I would be there. And he's like, I got a detox. So, and he was still young. Gosh, he was only like 19. He was living in an apartment with a friend, roommate. He was working every day. And apparently, so we're sitting there waiting to get admitted, and he starts to get sick, dope sick, I guess you call it. And uh, that is a very frightening thing for a mother to see because you can't fix it. I can't do anything about it. I've, I've never experienced anything like that. In the meantime, his plug his dealer was blowing his phone up. Uh, apparently, Max owed him money. Um, he threatened to come up to the detox facility, and uh, he wanted Max's mother to pay him. And I just got so frustrated, and I was worried, and I just got on the phone like I was Max, and I said, well, come on up here, and she'll meet you outside with the money. Of course, oh, I wouldn't. Wow. But I wouldn't. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, as he just kept on and kept on and kept on, uh, I got more mad and more mad just watching my son in so much pain. And I just got on the phone. I said, you know, charge it to the game. Yeah. Uh, April, I do you – Do I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have to ask, off. you know, I, I take it from my mother's position where there were many times – in my post-addiction life, in my recovery career, I like to call it, that she says she wishes she could have done things differently. In hindsight, if you had to look at the three things that could indicate that Max was in relapse mode, what would you say would be the three warning signs for you as a parent, in hindsight, that you're looking back on that would indicate that that he was on the wrong path. Well, the the first sign was quitting everything he loved. Uh, music, football, just the change in him. Um, and then, I knew when he was off the track because the avoidance. I mean, he never. He avoided me like the plague, and I knew something was wrong. Um, his, he always said, Mom, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just be normal? I'm known in treatment centers as the why can't I be normal mom. Um, uh, hanging around the wrong group. Um, I, I can't. You know, Max was that functioning like none of his friends knew how bad his addiction was he was very very clever at hiding it um i thought we were close he could come to me with anything but apparently he had this big dark secret Mm. um the regret someone in treatment one of the treatment clients asked me what are your regrets well, we don't have enough time in the world for all my regrets. You know, I should have done this. I could have done this. I did. 
I spent my whole life savings trying to save his life and keep him out of jail. Uh, much to probably his detriment, I couldn't fix him, so I had to fix me. Um, I joined Al-Anon. I tried to. I was in recovery myself. There were times when I had to love him from a distance. There were times when I would drive around looking for him. Um, he didn't always live with me. He lived with me when he overdosed and died. Um, but he was functioning. It was hard to tell. Um, I wish maybe as being an adopted kid, maybe I should have gotten some therapy really, really young. So he would have dealt with that if that, if that was the issue. Max had a, Max was a follower. He was not a leader. And he would say that later. Um, I, and, I, and he said, Mom, I, I listen to everybody instead of the people who love me most. You're listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. I had changed the locks. Didn't even know where she was living. And then one night she calls to say she's getting treatment. Can I drive? I almost hung up. But then I thought, that's my kid. I chose to put away the hurt and the fear and just see my girl. Addiction is a disease. Standing by a loved one as they fight it will test your faith, patience, and sanity. But it's possible when you see the person, not just their disease. Learn more at cbeyondtheaddiction.org. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Matt, you know, we take our mission seriously to help people get their loved ones back on track and find recovery. And when I think about my time as a teenager, Matt Bear, you know, using drugs and, and putting my mom through what I put her through, there is a lot of trauma associated with that because the amount of shame and guilt that I feel sometimes is overwhelming. And through the steps and through friendships like ours, I've been able to kind of write that shit. But the fact that we covered things like your teen not feeling like they fit in, how they get new friends when they start using and how legal troubles mount are critical signs that I wish I would have known myself. I'm grateful for my journey and it's my pleasure to help you get your loved one the help they need, but I can't emphasize enough 
how important these signs are. Kind of interesting of what you've been talking about, right? as we share our stories. It's been a little bit cathartic for me. I mean, I didn't have the best teen years that I enjoyed. I mean, sure, I had great friends coming up, but it was just that desire, that wanting to be popular. And you brought up this excellent point about being the starting quarterback for the football team. That wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't me either. <laughs> that wasn't even close to me. And we make these points. Well, it helps you. It helps me. But for the people behind the people, if your child, if your teenager isn't fitting in, if, if they aren't finding ways to be productive, that's when this disease can really start to manifest in its early forms. And we just wanted to share our experience uh, so maybe people can see a sign, maybe see a tell that their teenager isn't doing as well as maybe they could be doing. Um, honesty. Think back when you were a teenager. Uh, you, I was always more honest with my folks when I, I felt like they were being the most honest with me. And of course, you know, as a teenager, you don't, you don't have very good judgment on that. And I was wrong lots of times, if not all of the time. But if you're honest with your, if you're honest with your teenager about using drugs and doing drugs and you have these conversations and come from that warm place, that loving place and not your in trouble place, then you have a better chance of catching these the kinds of, a better chance of catching these kinds of things. We are on social. We have a great conversation going on X right now. It's at sobriety underscore pod. At sobriety underscore pod. That's the address for Instagram as well. At sobriety underscore pod. And make sure you like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, rate us because the higher we go in the ratings, the more favorable and the more ways that our podcast will show up on your feed. Remember, if you need a meeting critical aa.intergroup.org forward slash meetings meetings are also virtual thank god you can go to na.org to check that out the suicide prevention line is open 24 hours a day 1-800-273-8255 so important alanon.org it's al a-N-O-N dot org. And again, like us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. I use Spotify. A lot of the links we post at sobriety underscore pod come from Apple. That's just what we prefer there. Wherever you do it, wherever you get us, we just appreciate you listening to us. Yeah, we're grateful for your support. And remember, Matt Bear, when there's breath, there's hope. Raise a spoon to Grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.